looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. All right, Kevin, welcome to the show. How are we doing today, my friend? Doing awesome, guys. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for making time coming on the show. Uh, I'm calling in from Syracuse, Central New York today, and it is a complete blizzard out here. It's very cold. We've had below freezing weather. And DJ, you've actually, uh, you've had some snow down in South Carolina this week, haven't you? It's a rare thing, but yes, we have. Yeah. Uh, What's funny is when I first moved down here, I think the first two snowstorms they had, I was actually back up in Syracuse for them. So I missed them. There you go. Yeah. And and Kevin, how about yourself? Where are you calling in from? I'm in Connecticut. I'm getting the same storm as you are, except mine's all ice. Yeah. We've got a nice mix of ice and snow. I was out this morning doing some shoveling. I was like, oh, this is the heavy stuff. This isn't the nice, light and fluffy stuff that you play in. (laughs) So yeah, my son uh, wants to go outside, but I'm like, buddy, today is not the day. Correct. Today is not the day. So no, I love it though, but I appreciate you coming on. If you don't mind just taking a quick few minutes and introducing yourself to our audience that may not be familiar with you. Oh yeah, no problem at all. Yeah. I run a private debt fund. Most of what we do is, you know, value add real estate. Um, As I said, located in Connecticut. Uh, about 20 minutes outside of the capital Hartford. Um, for the most part, uh, coming into 2022, we're just looking to ramp everything up, uh, adding another fund, you know, to the business and uh, just specialty lending, basically. And uh, I wanted to reach out to you guys because I found you on uh, on Facebook, I believe it was, and it seems to be, uh, you know, you guys are doing things a little bit differently, even though you're still within kind of the same realm of, you know, equities. So just wanted to give you guys a shout, talk a little bit about what you guys are seeing and just have a conversation that's really not built around anything, just more or less how uh, you guys are feeling within the market. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate you reaching out. And I know you and I hopped on a call, just kind of an intro call to get to know each other a little bit prior to this last week. I definitely appreciate that. So uh, your company, what is the name of your company that you're uh, putting these private funds out to? Birch and Dobson. Merchant Dobson. Okay. And what, what is a debt fund for someone that's not familiar, has, doesn't even really know what debt is for the most part on multifamily. What is a debt fund? Like uh, just like a syndication, basically it's the same model. We take investor funds, we put them out into the market, provide a, a stable return. Um, you know, and we, the, the better part about it is, is that we're allowed to take things, you know, as they come in, we're not regulated like a bank. And we're allowed to make decisions before we have to go through a, a credit committee, like a, you know, a, a private lender that's backed by Wall Street, uh, a lot more flexible. And it it's, seems to be the way that things need to be currently, uh, which, you know, especially the, the markets are. And uh, we're, we're, there's more autonomy. We can kind of do what we want to do within the parameters that we set with our investors. So it gives us flexibility, gives people, you know, choices. You know, sometimes somebody's credit's a little banged up you know, not divorce, bankruptcy, you know, medical debts. And we can take those as a grain of salt. We can just help people out and get them into the investments so that they can grow their wealth. And the, the thing I wanted to ask you about was the parameters. Uh, so obviously somebody who's going to invest in one of your funds, they, they want to know, like, what are we doing here? Right. So can you talk us through the parameters? Yeah, absolutely. So 
every time we build a fund, we kind of figure out what the metrics are, what our investors are really going to be looking for. Do they want just a stable return? You know, do they want something that's not crazy, not a high risk? Do they want to be in the building space? Um, a lot of what we do is multifamily. And as you can tell over COVID, you know, one of the highest standards and highest producing asset classes has been multifamily. So if I can tell a group of investors, hey, we'll, uh, we'll go out and we'll help these operators purchase and rehab and re, you know, reinstitute properties, and this is the return I can get you. Uh, and then uh, not only that, your, your money is going to be backed by a real asset with a real address that you can physically drive by and you know, touch the building. Um, it seems to be very well received. And you know, we're, we're able to provide those things at you know, a, a risk-adjusted basis. Okay. So for example, then this debt fund and you guys are lending out for syndication, multifamily projects, anything like that, are you guys replacing? So let's say instead we wanted to go to Freddie or Fannie Mac to get debt. Would you guys replace that debt on the capital stack? Is that correct in that thinking? No, what we would do is we would be providing the debt for acquisition and rehab. Um, So stuff that, you know, you want to go to Freddie and Fannie when you're stabilized and your rents are up to par and you know, and you're at your 90 plus occupancy, uh, we're the first guys in the door. And then we help you because I have to underwrite it because I want, you know, our money back. Our investors want their money back. So when we underwrite, we make sure that- Is that really how that works, Kevin? (laughs) Yeah. I'm not a loan to own shop. I don't want your properties. Um, We want our money back. And, you know, that's the way that it works for us. And we do have to underwrite it that it, you know, at the end of the day, if we have to take this thing, we need to be happy with it. You know, it's, we only lend up really on things that we want to, you know, if we had to take them back, it's yeah, I'm okay with that, but that's not the end goal. Um, we've never taken a property back uh, to date and we've been around since 2007. Um, so it's, it's not the end goal by any stretch of the imagination, but yes, we do have to look at it to say, if it hits the fan, we're okay with holding it until we can get rid of it. I, and I also- love- I'd love the loan to own. Yeah, it's a terrible, it's a terrible sounding string of words if you if you put it together. But absolutely, uh, and you can really kind of sniff those guys out. You know, if they're telling you, you know, we'll lend you a hundred percent or ninety nine percent, or we'll let, we'll roll everything in. You kind of got to look at that and say, why would they do that? You know, am I just bird dogging deals for them, and they're making the terms so good, and it just seems too good to be true? Generally, it is. So you can kind of flush out those loan to own guys, you know, pretty easily. And um, one of the benefits of being a fund that's not backed by, you know, Wall Street is if a borrower calls us and says, hey, you know, this is what happened. We had a pipe burst. You know, it's going to be a little bit of an issue to to get you that payment on the 15th. You know, it's going to take a week. We can sit down and make those conversations as to where if it's only based on return to investors and you know, keeping our stock price up, which is something we don't have to deal with. It's a different conversation. Yeah. So what are you finding out there? And I'm going to approach this from the standpoint of uh, I've invested passively in syndications uh, spread out geographically. and, And I think some great markets, we all see what's going on with the stock market. So your, your investors, who are they? How do you sell them on returns? What do returns look like coming out of your fund? Sure. Our investors are high income earners, high net worth individuals. You know, we're looking at all reg C, 
you know, we want accredited investors, um, doctors, engineers, um, anybody that would be basically in a syndication model that doesn't want to have a, a long-term hold, maybe want something a little shorter. You know, the fund can be anywhere from a year and we can have recaptures, you know, within 90 days. Um, very flexible in that term. And we're around between six, seven and 8% annualized with no management fees. So even if somebody in a different fund or a syndication says, oh, we're going to give you 10, but, you know, there's 2% here for management fees. Here's our, you know, acquisition fee. And you start getting down to brass tacks. What does that balance sheet look like at the end of the year? You're right around there. So, you know, I think we try to be as fair as we can. And we also are, you know, if we don't do well, the investors don't do well and vice versa. So it's, it puts us all in alignment is what we kind of built this out to be like. And when you do it like that, everybody's interests are aligned. You know, I'm not getting paid by putting a loan together before the investors, you know, and, and that's the way I think it should be. I've read through so many syndication documents because we do fund syndications that where it's so front loaded with fees that if the sponsor is making, you know, $250,000 off the jump, which is, you know, if that business model works and they're able to perform with the you know, historicals that do so more power to you. Um, but going forward with just debt, I think you need to be more aligned with your investors. Right. Right. Now, as far as like tax reporting goes for these investors that are investing in the debt fund, I would imagine because it's debt, it's not K1 reported. You guys distribute 1099 to all the uh, debt investors or how do they report taxes at the end of each year? It's uh, individual kind of how they want to have it reported. Do they want to reinvest it? Um, normally it is a 1099 interest, you know, at the end of the year, um, whether or not those gains are realized is if they're reinvesting in the funds. Um, it's a, you know, where it comes from a trust, uh, an IRA. I mean, there's so many different avenues you can go right. down along that. And we do cater, you know, uh, spend a good amount of money on taxes so that people can get what they need at the end of the year. Yeah, definitely. I hear you on that. Now, as far as someone like if you were lending to an operator, an active operator, what type of terms can someone expect to see? And I'm sure this is going to vary on uh, project and market and mm -hmm. where the, the geographic market, but actually where the debt market is. But what are some terms over this last year, maybe uh, Q3, Q4 of last year, where you uh, putting out to investors, to actual principals? We're doing 65% to 80% LTV. You know, and we don't want our loan to exceed about 75% of the, uh, the value once it's stabilized. So it gives us a little bit of a, you know, a cushion, a buffer. Um, the rates are generally between eight and 10, and that's all going to depend on, you know, experience, you know, what, how they've paid people back in the past. I mean, we look at credit, but it doesn't really tell you the entire picture. Um, you know, it, it's, and like I said before, not having Wall Street on your back and taking money from big banks, you can kind of make those decisions. And, you know, if something's a little bit outside of the box, you know, I can send an email to the investor and say, hey, this guy, this is what he has. He's a little short on cash. The leverage might need to be a little higher than it normally is, but we're very, you know, rather well protected and we can make a decision based on that. You know, it's rare where you can have your capital deployed somewhere and then the, uh, the guy that's taking care of it can reach out and say, hey, how do you, what do you feel about this? you know, we can go from there. Yeah. I want to take you back to the syndication piece. So you're familiar with uh, underwriting multifamily syndications. Mm -hmm. uh, 
what do you look for? So for your underwriting criteria, there's got to be some parameters that stand out to you. And by the way, we appreciate the fact that lenders do their own due diligence, right? Because that just serves as a quality control check for us. So this is great. Yeah. So it's all going to depend on market. You know, if you come to me with something in Jacksonville, you know, we can throw it against the wall and it's going to stick, you know, (laughs) especially in markets like that, Tampa, anything like that. Uh, You know, we're going to underwrite it just as if you're underwriting it because we want to make sure the deal at the end is going to flesh out and, you know, stabilization, how long it's going to take. Are you going to put any special lease ups? Are you, it all, it's a big picture and you have to look at it that way. It's not cookie cutter. No deal is going to be the same as before. Uh, you know, how many LPs are in, how many GP partners do you have? What are their ex- experiences, you know, in the past? You know, when you get to somebody that's brand new, maybe they took a course somewhere and they're, they're putting together their first, you know, 30 unit deal and it's 3 million bucks and, you know, they're trying to fit things together and, you know, shoestring it. It's different. You know, you have to look at it that way. Um, the standard operator, you know, you're going to look at them a little bit different. And the ones that are, you know, 10, 12 deals in, they're going to get a different set of eyes too, because, you know, everything is in stages. And that's, you know, one of those things you have to kind of just roll with. And the deal is probably great. And I've turned down deals that have looked pretty well because, you know, we didn't have total, you know, good feelings about that particular borrower and the teams that they had behind them. So really, could I give you a cookie cutter answer? Not really. It's, it takes time and you have to be able to go through it and understand what you're looking at. Yeah. And I was really just looking for, you know, what stands out to you and and you've covered some of that. So obviously the team's very important. Yes. The team's very important. Yeah. And, you know, obviously this, the syndication deals, they're, they're complicated. Our underwriting yeah. spreadsheet, Dante, uh, you know, numerous tabs on it and different ways we look at the deal, but always putting the investor first. That That's the number one thing that we do is if these deals don't work for the investor, we don't try to shoehorn them in. So if you were to come in and replace a group of investors, so in other words, we're going to syndicate something and and we team up with you. What does it look like uh, from our end? Uh, I'm assuming there's an LLC that essentially becomes one of the LPs in the deal. So for me, I wouldn't really be an LP. I'd be more of the debt side. So, you know, you would still have your limited partners, you know, putting in the money for their down payments, their, you know, earnest costs and all that. And then I would come in on the back end and, and replace or, or just be your general lender on it. Um, put that debt on there, structure it the way the deal needs to be, you know, obviously within our parameters. And then, you know, if there's a deal, you know, I can't say I will never be an LP, but if there's a deal that has a little bit of complication to it, you know, we, we might have some mezzanine, you know, possibilities to it, maybe a little bit of an LP with, you know, an equity portion or equity stake in it. Not to say it's out of the realm, but I haven't really come across it yet. So, the answer is kind of twofold. Yes, it can be that way, but mostly we want to be the guy holding the paper with a with a very good idea of what the operations are going to be like. Right. And especially with, you know, the rates you're talking about, you guys aren't in it for the long haul. You're not the perm debt. You're coming in, helping the project Correct. get, you know, up and funded, whether that's possibly new construction. I don't know if you guys do that, but it sounds like more of that value add approach, get it mm-hmm. stabilized, 
and then get refried out with maybe a HUD loan, a CMBS, a Freddie, Fannie, some form of agency. And then that's when you guys uh, leave the picture. Now, Correct. kind of a, a two-sided question I have are minimums. What is the minimum for investors to invest in your fund? And then what is the minimum that you guys are really lending on as far as project goes as a dollar amount? Uh, our minimum is going to be $100,000 know, from our accredited investors. I don't want to have a lot of investors, as weird as that sounds. I want to totally get that. (laughs) Yeah. Investors, you know, they have to understand what we're doing and that's why I keep it so simple. It's money against the property that is being improved. It's very simple. Um, If I start having to get into explaining things, then it gets a little complicated. And that's when you have to start lowering your minimum requirements. Um, You know, when you have to convince somebody, you can't ask for a hundred grand. You have to lower that. Uh, and, and as terms as how much are we lending out, you know, I like staying under 10 million just because that seems to be a really good market that syndicators can really handle, especially if they're not, you know, into the 150 to 400 units. And to be honest, that's really not my market. You know, I don't want to be in a $30 million deal because it just, you know, I don't want the, the fund to be weighed too far in one direction than the other. Um, not, not heavily diver- diversified. It's, it's yeah, all your eggs in one you basket. Know, Will we get there eventually? Yes. But right now it's just easier to handle six or seven, $10 million deals than it is to handle one 300 million and have a billion dollars to deal with. Um, you know, I'm not trying to be Blackstone, but I'm not trying to be a little guy either. Right. Totally hear you on that. And when you're looking at deals, obviously it's going to be case by case, as we said, but do you have a preference? Do you like a, a core core plus deal that has a smaller value add mentality to it? Or do you like to have your value add deal uh, C class, B class, or are you trying to go higher end? Like I said, that core plus, that A class deal, um, or is there a certain vintage you try to stay away from? Do you guys only lend on 80, 85 vintage and newer? Cause you know, it's going to have newer construction components or are you guys Correct. okay with going something a little bit older in like the sixties or seventies? I try to stay away from the six, the anything below the eighties really. I mean, upper, upper seventies is okay. Depending on where it was built. You know, upper 70s in New England is a different conversation than upper 70s in Florida. So, you know, I'm going to like C property that wants to be a B, B property that wants to be an A. Uh, Core Plus, you know, is has come up a lot. uh, And it's you're taking the property from the guy that's building it and you're finishing out doing all your up, you know, you're finishing upgrades, your finishes, doing your lease up. So we've been looking into that as well. Um, you know, obviously they're, they're few and far between the guys that are building, you know, huge, huge complexes and, and stuff like that, but it has come across. And a lot of what's happening now is, um, conversions for hotels and motels. You know, there's, uh, this week alone, three of those types of deals came through on my desk and, you know, might build a product around that just because it's a great, it's already there, you know, and it's a, it's a quick changeover, you know, relatively speaking to, you know, something that can provide housing is something that we desperately need. Yeah. And to kind of touch on what you're talking about, that core, that core plus class where, um, you, you know, you're buying it from the developer, they're typically not leasing it up, or maybe they will lease it up. It depends on what, who the developer is and what their business plan is. Um, something I found that seems to be very true is they're just using builder grade finishes, builder grade materials, because it's very expensive to build right now, or it's just expensive to build in the last five to 10 years is what it seems like. So these syndicators, these operators, these principals, for those of you that are listening that are unaware of how this works is they'll come in and they'll finish off the units with higher end finishes. 
So something we'll notice a lot and some of our friends that are operators are, they'll go in, they'll grab these properties that are one, two, three years old, maybe they're 50% leased up. So they're not their max potential. So that's where you, Kevin, come in with your fund to bring that debt because it's not fully stabilized. And then as those units are turning or as they're getting those leased up, they're starting to put in higher end finishes that can command those higher rents in the market. Um, just to educate those that are listening on what we're talking about here. Correct. And, and what happens a lot, you know, when I see people doing a core plus or they're, you're, they're turning a B into an A and, you know, and they're in the lease up phase, it's, you know, they're leaving cash on the table, you know, for a monthly rent because they're not giving the people that are going to be living their options. Um, it, it seems so simple that you would give somebody that wants to live in one of your buildings, you know, kind of an idea of what, how they want to live and why not give them that choice. And, and truth be told, our jobs as, you know, somebody that's lending to syndicators, people that are syndicating is to give people a place that they want to live. They may not have the own, you know, the pride of ownership, but they still can have pride living in those buildings. So while you're doing the upgrades, why aren't you giving, you know, why aren't you going to your, your countertop guy and saying, hi, you know, let, give me three choices of colors. Let my renter decide, you know, for a premium, how they want to live. If they just want the bare bones, you know, let them have the bare bones. But if they say they want a different color, which is going to be 10 cent different per square foot for your, the syndicator, but you might be able to charge a premium of $45 a month, you know, for them to change their finishes, you know, maybe add, you know, a heated bathroom floor that only, you know, I just did it in my bathroom. It was $180. How many times can you get your money back on that? And, you know, you have a building with a hundred units, you do that to five of those, 45 of those, you know, 45 bucks a month times 50, that's $600,000 worth of equity pulled out of nothing just because you gave somebody the choice to live the way they want to live. It, it's just, you know, having conversations with my borrowers like that, it really ends up helping. Kevin, what other loan terms do you guys have? You know, we always seem to, you know, talk rate and term and, you know, interest and all that good stuff. Are there any unique uh, loan terms that we would need to pay attention to if we do something with you? Not particularly. I try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, I want to have good leverage for it. I want to have a good property. I want to have good buyer, you know, borrowers. And then when you have those three things, it, it's not just terms, it's a negotiation. Right. You know, maybe on the front end, you're like, hey, you know, may, the points would make it a little bit tight. You know, let's do an exit fee. Let's do something along those lines. You know, it's the business isn't just cut and dry it's for you guys or for us. It's just as long as I can make my investor base happy, you guys are happy. And we put something together, you know, it ends up working out. No, I, I, it's a la carte, basically, right, when you're right. dealing with a shop like mine. So what about in terms of inspections, appraisals, stuff like that? How, how do you walk through that part of the process? Yeah, it'll be a standard appraisal. You know, we're looking for, if it's value add, we're going to make sure all the, you know, the numbers align with what's in the market. You know, if you're trying to put a $1,300 apartment in a $900 market, we're going to have a little bit of an issue. Um, you know, uh, it, we're going to look at comps. We're going to do everything everybody else does. Um, but how you get there is where we're going to be able to have a little flexibility. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to doing your due diligence as the, the debt lender on the deal. And, right. you know, DJ and I appreciate that too, because sometimes we might overlook something in the deal that we didn't realize. Not that we've had that happen yet, but you guys are doing a few other things that we might be, might not be doing 
or you're doing things a little bit differently and it's just a second set of eyes on the project. So it's definitely always appreciated. Absolutely. And if it's a market that I'm you know, already in and we're looking at a $5 million, $6 million deal, I'll get on a plane. How often does that happen? Where we all walk and we get on the same page together. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a relationship that we're building. It's, you know, I want you to keep coming back. There's a, there's a difference when it's, you know, just a boardroom and somebody that you shake hands with and say, hey, this is what we want to do. We want to put this up here. These are the finishes we want to have. It's a different relationship. Yeah. And I think from our end and for our investors, uh, by the time something would even get to you, uh, not only have we done our underwriting and due diligence, but we have some strategic partners that we work with that are also doing the same. So by the time it gets to you, it would be like third or fourth time. So I, I say that with respect to investor confidence for those that are thinking about uh, taking an LP position in syndications or investing in one of your funds. Uh, these are these are great things that are revealed reviewed in tremendous detail, and I think there's a lot of security in that. Absolutely, the review. You know, legal teams look at them, appraisers look at them. You know, if something's going to come up, it's going to come up quick. Um, as long as you have your your team is the you know well, the ones that you've built and they're all on the same page, we're all the end result is supposed to be the same. And you know, you're watching your back. I'm making sure our T's are crossed and our I's are dotted. And, you know, it's, we're all ending for the same goal and, you know, nobody wants to get hurt doing it. And you guys are very obviously investor focused as well as we are. So at the end of the day, the money has to go back to the investors. It has to go back to the investors and on our end and your end, I know, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to make that happen. Yeah. So those investors uh, in this climate, Right, we're seeing a lot of market volatility. We're seeing uh, certainly everybody knows what's going on with inflation. Are, are you finding more people gravitating toward a, a fund like yours, or what are you doing for marketing? Tie all that together for me. The fund interest to me is very shocking at the moment because I can't believe how much money is actually sitting out there looking for a place to go, um, and. We, we're in a small niche world, just kind of like how syndicators are. So it's, we're all kind of fighting over the same pie. Um, you know, my, my hold periods are, you know, more flexible syndications are kind of like, you know, they're five, seven years. So the marketing part of it is just for me, you know, flexibility, uh, you know, Facebook, uh, forums, things, things along those lines. I'm on a couple boards with, you know, uh, White coat investor, you know, would be a place that I would advertise, um, you know, doctors, stuff like that. Um, and having a fund that isn't in the billions of dollars, I can get to my end result really quick, you know, $100,000 at a time. If you're raising 20 million, you only need 200 people. It's, it's, it's nothing too insurmountable for us. Then um, I tend to do the funds that are smaller, so it's easier for me to market for them. And not charging any management fees, that usually helps too. Yeah. And, it's pretty crazy to think all these available options, all these available investments that we don't hear about. These investment options, such as your fund, our syndications, or anything multifamily or commercial related, it's really not open advertised. I So it, kind of funny, just quick story. So I play soccer. I'm in a men's league. And last night I went to the men's league and I ran into someone I haven't seen in a few years. And he 
and, you know, we're just talking to our families and I was like, oh, okay, I'll catch you later. And he's like, oh, real quick. He's like, I see what you're doing online with like the real estate investing. He's like, I, I didn't know you could do that. I'd love to get involved. I didn't know I could lend through my retirement account. He's like, I've got all these stocks in there. I didn't know I could lend that directly to you and put that money to work. He's like, I've got a hundred thousand dollars right now that I can just direct over to you instead of over to those other investments. And he's like, and I really want to get into real estate. So it, it's just crazy to think, I mean, you even ask myself three, four years ago, I didn't know these options were available that you could invest in. You know, I was just pushing over to my Roth IRA. I was pushing over to my brokerage account and Kevin talking about things like your funds you have available. Like I said, our syndications are just anything multifamily or commercial related. It's really crazy that these things are available to us, these awesome tools with all the different benefits. So uh, kind of a little side tangent there, but I just, I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it's not really marketable because we have to compete with Bank of America. We have to compete with, you know, these guys that have billions and billions of dollars in marketing where it makes people think the only thing they can do is give it to them. Um, you know, it's just, we, we're battling with that, you know, and everything. And, you know, you got the huge dogs that are out there, you know, like the Cardones of the world that have this huge reach, you know, and just watching it all unfold there, which has been an education in itself. Um, you know, we're, we're all doing the same thing, trying to get the same piece of the pie. Completely agree. So uh, DJ, did you have anything else for Kevin before we head to our next section of the show? No, but this was really good stuff. Uh, Kevin, I'm glad we were able to connect and uh, look forward to hearing your answers to the curious cues. Got it. Definitely uh, different talking about the kind of the uh, debt fund investing. I mean, usually the funds that we hear about are the the multifamily real estate funds other syndicators are putting on to take down multiple projects on the equity side, not really the debt side. So pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Awesome. And if, if you wouldn't mind before we get on, um, it'll maybe it'll help your listeners is that, you know, we don't just fund syndications. We fund fix and flips and long-term rentals because not everybody's a syndicator or an LP or off the rip. They have to build their portfolios and we want to get you vertically integrated so that, a turns into B, B turns into C, and we all in the debt fund. We also have that as well. Um, you know, if you don't want to be in a long-term syndication, but you want to be in a year, there's more options. Is basically what I'm trying to get to. And you know, we want to have our borrowers coming back and our investors coming back. Yeah, plenty of options. I like it. Well, we're going to switch over to the next section of the show called the Curious Cues. Kevin, uh, favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Any shows that you really find yourself listening to over again? Uh, over and over again, the Capital Razor show, um, yep. you guys, uh, Joe Rogan, um, you know, don't agree with everything that he has, but, right. you know, some of it's very entertaining. And, uh, you know, Joe Fairless, I, I listen to everything. Basically, I'm kind of boring, to be honest. It, I, I immerse myself into everything that I'm doing, you know, syndications, multifamily flips. I listen to those podcasts. Yeah. Um, it's kind of seems like to be the way I don't even do it intentionally. It's just something I like kind of a nerd. I'm the same way. Anytime I'm driving and just throw them on. And one I've really enjoyed recently and that I've continued to find myself going back to, because I think he's so motivating. Uh, The message he's putting out is just correct on real estate is Grant Cardone. Sometimes he's a little bit off color with what he's saying or how he's going about it, but I love when people call in and he gives them the no BS answer of what they should and shouldn't be doing and really his overall look on real estate and what is the end goal behind it at the end of the day. Some people try to complicate it too much and he's just like, 
here it is right off the rip. This is exactly what you should be doing. And every time I listen to him, I just get that much more fired up. So definitely. Yeah, he's that. good at firing up and he's an absolute masterclass at underwriting and taxes. Yeah. Um, if you want to understand what you can do offsetting taxes, going through his uh, library of how to make the IRS mad is not only very uh, entertaining, but very eye-opening as well. Yep. He always says the I and the R and the S you always keep yep. them away, you know? So no, that's good. Uh, favorite book you enjoy reading. Uh, I have a library that's insane right now. I'm really into psychology books. Okay. Um, uh, going through a lot of those. I go, I go back even to like uh, think and grow rich because everything in this business is a mindset. Yeah. Um, so true. Yeah. I, I usually go back. I'll, I'll buy a bunch of books, but then I'll go back and I'm reading the same 10 you know, that I've read for the past decade, 20 years or so. Yep. Just get a refresher. It's those top ones that are always at top of mind or sitting by your desk somewhere. Yeah. And biggest hurdle in real estate or with your fund you've had? The biggest hurdle thus far is the, the cost of entry to do something like this is very expensive. I mean, just the, the documentation alone. Yeah, I mean, you know, side. as a syndicator, you know, you can be 50 grand into this before you even you know, raise a single dollar um, and not being able to. So oh, funny story. It, this is a debt funds and investing into basically anything where you take other people's money is an extremely hard thing to get into at a high level. Um, you can't just jump into it. You have to spend about you know five years learning it. And what I ended up doing is finding a fund local to me, tried to get an interview there that didn't work because I didn't know anybody that worked there. Mm. So I found out where the CEO lived and I hand delivered my resume to his house. Um, that got me in the door and he just ended up calling me and says, I don't know who you are, but can you be there Monday? Needless to say, I didn't get hired because they didn't know what to do with me, but you know, that at least got me into the door and to talk to people about it. And I ended up finding a smaller fund I worked for, for a couple of years. And then I just decided to branch out on my own. No, yeah. nobody knew. There's always that unexpected component that drops into every podcast. And, and today's is job hunting tips. Yeah, right. <laughs> By Kevin. <laughs> like, I didn't, didn't know what to do. You know, like I wanted to be in the business. I wanted to learn. But, you know, I don't have a master's degree in economics, which if that's what people want, that's what they can have. But there's got to be a way to do it without that. Kevin, what, what were you doing before you got into the fund business? I was, a, I was buying debt for many years. Um, you know, the concept of being able to buy money for cheaper than what it's worth has been extremely beneficial. And uh, I was basically enamored with it. Um, I was an engineer for a while. Um, my father is a real estate oh, investor. You're, you're talking about engineer, engineer again. What type of engineer? <laughs> I was a, a job site engineer. Um, basically the guy that could act, you know, read a blueprint without it being upside down and mark out everything use you know stanchions and all that kind of stuff and you know the amount of engineers in. we've run into in this business is is insane it's just everyone has, it, right exactly that's what it comes down to yeah numbers is our thing yeah i love it yeah. i'm how about favorite non-real estate related hobbies what do you like doing in your free time my wife and i uh, valerie and our son dallas we love the outdoors we love traveling uh COVID kind of put a little hamper on that in the last couple of years, but, you know, big outdoor family fitness, um, just like traveling. And I can't wait to get back to doing that. 
Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people traveling has been a pain over this last year, year and a half. I mean, my wife and I, we, we got married during COVID. So we, you know, tried going to our honeymoon that, that kind of stunk and just a, a few things. We went to Hawaii and kind of making that trip was difficult. So very excited for that all to get cleared out so we can go back and do some fun stuff. Yeah. And how about newbie advice? So what advice would you give to someone who's looking to get started in this arena? When you reach out to somebody, do it as if you're trying to get a date. Be prepared. Be put together. Um, make it your best impression foot forward. Um, how many times I get a submission from somebody where they don't even have the zip code on the address. Oh, geez. How, they, <laughs> how the, the, the pitch deck is, you know, the fonts are all mixed up. And it, it seems kind of silly, but, you know, if you're sending something to somebody, don't make them work to try to help you to do it. Um, that's and if they're missing the details that small, what other major exactly. details are they missing out on? It, it's one of those things, tighten everything up on the first, you know, interaction with somebody. And that doesn't matter if it's me, if it's you guys, if it's a realtor, if you're trying to get a deal, you know, make yourself seem put together at least and try. And what I tell people is Google a pitch deck, you know, doesn't matter really what industry it is. Just take a look at it and see how it's put together, yeah. you know, so that when you do make that first impression, somebody picks up the phone and calls you back or emails you back rather than just hit delete. Right. Right. No, I hear and you on that's that. Certainly too, Dante is when we went through our last deal, uh, going through that whole due diligence process with the lender. And, uh, one of the things we tried to do, Kevin, I don't know I'm assuming this, this probably helped us. Uh, there's obviously a lot of questions that are asked, a lot of information that's looked at, but we even tried to make life easier, uh, on those underwriters so that, oh, yeah. um, you know, if, if they needed something in a certain form, we'd take it and do that. A lot of times they'd say, just e email it to me and I'll take care of it. But we tried to go with that extra mile. And I'm assuming that's helpful to you and, and probably presents well. It does. And it's very appreciated. And we want to reach out faster to the ones that actually put the effort in, um, you know, just before I even get one, 140, I already have six deals to look at. It's a lot of work and the easier things are for everybody. It just makes everything more efficient. And, you know, the ones that I can just comprehend faster is the one that I click on first. It's just as simple as that. Yeah, I hear you on that. Well, Kevin, this has been awesome. You've really given us a lot to think about on the debt side of things for deals that we're looking at. Um, I think you've really educated our audience on what you are doing and what other options are out there for investing. If someone wanted to get in contact with you to learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing, where can they reach out to you at? Birchanddobson.com. Birch, like the tree, B-I-R-C-H-D-O-B-S-O-N.com. All my contact information is on there. I'm, I'm not exactly hiding. So, and I have a really weird last name. So if you Google me, you'll find me. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, this was great. Thank you again, Kevin. And we'll be chatting with you soon. Thank you, gentlemen. It was great talking with you. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.